You know, the greatest decision that you can make in your life is to do what that song says, trade your sins for a mansion in heaven. Jesus said, in my Father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I'll doubtless come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And so every single person here this morning, the greatest decision that you can make is to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. Admit that you're a sinner. The Bible says we're all sinners. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. Understand there's a penalty for that sin. The wages of sin is death. But understand that Jesus paid that price. He bought us a gift on Calvary's cross, the gift of eternal life. And if we'll receive it, uh, he'll give us that home in heaven. And so if you're here this morning and have never received Christ as your Savior, the greatest decision that you can make is to ask him to be your Savior. Now, I know most of us here this morning have done that already. The vast majority, probably over 90% of the people that are here this morning have made that decision. The greatest decision that you can make as a Christian is to decide to follow him. Follow him. When he first called his disciples, uh, he said in Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And again, the greatest decision we as Christians can make is to follow him. This morning, I want to tell you a story. I want to tell you a story about some people that had made that decision. A group of people that had decided, I want to follow Christ. They heard him teach that day by the side of the Sea of Galilee. There was a great crowd gathered, and he was on a boat and used a boat as a platform and as a pulpit. And he taught the people uh, that day some, some parables. We talked about them in Sunday school. We read what happened at the end of the day. At the end of the day, he had his disciples send away the crowd, and they got in the boat with him. And he said, let's go to the other side. Let's go to the other side of the sea. And in verse 36 there, it says, there were also with him other little ships. Other little ships. This, uh, this, uh, this event, this account is reported in the book of Matthew. It's reported in the book of Mark. It's reported in the book of John. Of course, Matthew and John were disciples. They were there. Mark was not a disciple. Most people think that Mark wrote the gospel of Mark based on what Peter told him. And so Peter was there. So three disciples, and yet only one notices that as they started out on the, to, to, to reach the other side of the sea, that there were some other little ships. Now the people in those other little ships had good intentions. They wanted to follow Christ. They'd heard him been, they've heard, they heard him teaching all day, and they didn't want to stop. They wanted to go wherever he was going. They saw that he was in the ship. They saw that his disciples got in the ship. They saw that they headed toward the other shore. And so they got into the ships that were available there and said, follow that ship. Uh, go, go where that ship goes because we want to follow Jesus. But if you notice there in the story of Mark, and especially if you go down and read in chapter 5, in chapter 5 it says Jesus and the disciples made it to the other side of the sea. But there's no account of the other little ships making it. They had the right desire. They made the right decision. They wanted to follow Christ and be with him, but they never reached their goal. And this morning, I speak mainly to Christians. I'll have another word to say to you in just a second if you're here and you don't know Christ. But this morning, I speak mainly to Christian. I, Christians. I hope your desire is the, the same desire of those people that were in those other little ships. 
I hope your desire this morning is to follow Christ. This morning, I want to tell you three reasons why they didn't make it. Three reasons why when the storm hit, they didn't get to follow Christ. And I submit to you that if those same three reasons are reasons that exist today, that people that want to follow Christ never make it. They never make, they never get to fulfill that desire to follow him. So I'm going to give you three reasons. The first reason that the people in the other little ships failed to follow Christ is that they lost their direction. They lost their direction. You see, when the storm came up, the wind began to blow. These were not boats that were equipped with mercury, mercury marines. They didn't have the high-powered uh, engines that some boats have. They moved by sail. And when the wind began to blow violently, they had to take the sails down, and they had to go wherever the sea sent them. And so they lost their direction in trying to follow Christ. I want you to listen closely because I'm going to make some statements that when you first hear them, you may think, well, that's not right. That's not right. Jesus did not come to be on display for the shepherds and the wise men. Jesus did not come to debate with the scholars when he was 12 years old in the temple. Jesus did not come to heal the sick. Jesus did not come to feed the hungry. Jesus did not come to raise the dead. Jesus did not come to control nature. Jesus did not come to teach. He did not come to preach. He did not come to build the church. He came for one reason. He told us that reason in Luke chapter 19, verse 10. And by the way, all the other things he did were good. I mean, they were wonderful. But they were all sort of icing on the cake. They were all sort of fringe benefits for the main reason that he came. The main reason he came, he told us, I have come to seek and to save that which was lost. He came looking for sinners to point him to himself, to have him trust him so that he could take us to heaven one day. Now listen, I'm going to make some more statements. Again, when you hear them, you might think they're not true. Jesus did not save us so that we could read the Bible. Jesus did not save us so that we could pray. Jesus did not save us so that we could memorize Scripture. Jesus did not save us so that we could come to church. Nobody get up. Everybody stay seated. That's not the main reason that you and I were saved. All those are wonderful things. All those are good things that we should participate in. But he did not save us for those reasons. He saved us for one purpose. He tells us what that is in John chapter 15, verse 16. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that ye should go and bring forth fruit. Bring forth fruit. He came to seek and to save. He saved us so that we could devote our life to doing the same thing, going out and telling men and women and boys and girls about him. Going out and telling them that they're sinners. Going out and telling them there's a penalty for that sin. Going out and telling them that Jesus paid the price. He paid their penalty on Calvary's cross. Going out and telling them that if they come to him, he will save them. Sometimes storms come into our life. 
and we lose our direction. We forget what direction we should be going in. We get caught up, and, 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 and because we don't see results, we get discouraged. Sometimes we even as Christians get caught up in sin. Sometimes as Christians we get caught up in all the other good activities that can occur in our life. And if we're not careful, we will forget what he called us to do. We need to say like the Apostle Paul did in Philippians chapter 3, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I want to tell you this morning what that mark is. That mark that that Paul pressed toward, that mark that, that Paul put aside everything else and kept his eye on, was bearing fruit. Bearing fruit. He said in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 22, I am made all things to all men that I might by all means save some. Paul says, I've given my life. I count everything that I had before as dung. It's just garbage so that I can know Christ and tell others about him. Listen, if you're here this morning, you're here for one of two reasons. One of two reasons. You're here this morning and you're not saved you're here this morning and you've never asked Jesus to be your Savior. You think you're just here by accident this morning? You think you're just here by coincidence this morning? No, you're not here by accident. You're not here by coincidence. You are here by the divine providential plan of God. He wanted you in this service so that you could hear the gospel. He wanted you in this service so that you could hear that you're a sinner and there's a penalty for that sin and that our Savior paid for it. He wanted you to hear that if you ask Jesus, he will save you from your sins. He will save you from the penalty of sin. He will save you from hell and give you a home in heaven. Again, most of us are, are here, are, that are here this morning are Christians. You're here so that you can be encouraged, so that you can be conjoled, so that you can be whatever word you want to use to go out of this place and find somebody that doesn't know Jesus Christ and tell them about your Savior. You say, preacher, I don't know how to do that. I've never been trained to go out and tell somebody how to get saved. Well, let me ask you a question. How did you get saved? And if you can't tell me how you got saved, you better examine your salvation. Every person that's gotten saved ought to be able to know how they got saved. I got saved when I realized I was a sinner and I realized there was a penalty for it and that Jesus paid it. And if I would put my trust in him and ask him, he would save me. Ain't nothing too hard about that. It's simple. I didn't make it simple. God made it simple. God made it simple so the little ones in the back could understand it just like the big ones in here. He made it simple. And if you're saved, you ought to know how you got saved. You want to know how to tell somebody else how to get saved? Tell them what happened to you. (laughs) That's all it is. You can tell somebody how to be saved without knowing one verse of Scripture. It helps if you know some. It helps if you can quote some verses from the book of Romans, but you can tell somebody how to get saved without knowing one verse of Scripture. That's the direction that God wants us to go in as Christians. And if we're going to follow Jesus, we need to go in that direction. And I'm going to tell you something else. You will not find happiness and joy as a Christian unless that's what you're about. I've used this illustration before, but it makes the point. Somebody tell me what this is. It's a pen. The writing instrument, if you want to get technical. Purpose of this is to write. 
We use this for all sorts of other things. We use it to scratch your head. We use it to clean our ear. Some of us use it, well, never mind. Here's my point. If this thing had feelings, it would not be happy doing this, doing this, or other things. It would only be happy fulfilling the purpose for which it was made to write. In the book of Ephesians, the Bible says, For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourself. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship created unto good works. And those good works are to follow Christ and go in the same direction that he went and bear fruit. So these people in these other little ships, they didn't get to follow Christ because they lost their direction. Number two, because they were selfish. Now, I know some of you might say, be careful, preacher. You're about to quit preaching and begin to get meddling. That's okay. Sometimes preachers got to meddle as they preach. They were selfish. You say, what do you mean they were selfish? How can you tell they were selfish? Well, let me, what does the Bible say? The Bible says that the waves beat into the boat so that it was now full. Anytime you take more in than you give out, you're selfish. Anytime there's more coming in than there is going out, you're selfish. Now you might say, well, that's really a stretch, but no, it's not. Because if we're going to follow Christ, we cannot be selfish. If we're going to follow Christ, we have, to, we have to be like him. There was nothing selfish about Jesus Christ. He was a gift from God, and he gave himself. He said one time, no man taketh my life from me. I lay it down willingly. God gave him as a gift, and then he gave his life as a gift. And if we're going to follow him and go in the same direction that he's going, we've got to learn what it is to give. Let me, just, let me just be real practical for a minute. Uh, let me tell you some things we're selfish with. We're selfish with our time. God gives us all of our time. He gives us 168 hours a week. All he wants back is one-seventh of it. He said in the book of Exodus, Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work. The Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. So figure it up. He wants one-seventh back. He wants 24 hours. Now, I think God's a reasonable God, and I think he knows in those 24 hours you've got to sleep. So take eight hours away that you're going to sleep on the 24 that you're going to give them, and you've got 16 left. So let's just do some calculating. You come to Sunday school, that's an hour. You come to church in the morning, that's an hour. You come to church in the evening, that's an hour. You come on Wednesday night, uh, that's close to two hours by the time we get everything done. So that's five, and I'll just throw one in for the transit time. So six hours a week, six hours a week of the 16 that we have left from the one-seventh we're going to give God, we could spend coming to church. Now, again, I don't mean the metal, but some people come to church on Sunday morning one hour and say, that's enough. Say, preacher, don't, I'm not meddling. I'm just doing some math with you. Just consider me a math teacher this morning. He wants one-seventh of our time. And he, if you take 24 hours and minus the eight you want to sleep, you still got 16. And I figure you can spend six hours coming to church and come every time the doors open throughout the week and still have 10 hours 
left over that you owe God. I always think it's a good idea that you pray and read your Bible every day. And so, let's say you take an hour a day doing that. An hour a day reading your Bible, an hour and, and some more of that hour praying. That's another seventh hour, seven hours. So that's 13 hours. Out of the 16 of the 24 that's his, you got three left. What are you going to go do with those three? Let me give you a suggestion. Find somebody that needs to hear about Jesus and tell them. Find somebody that's never heard the gospel. Or find somebody that you can reach with the gospel and tell them about Jesus. We're selfish with our time. We're selfish with our possessions. God gives us everything that we have. He says he wants a tenth back. Malachi 3.10, bring you all the tithes into the storehouse. Let me just remind you, a tenth is a tenth. It's off the gross, it's not off the net. If you gross a dollar, he wants a dime. If you gross $10, he wants a dollar. That's God's. That's God's. That's God's. You're not giving God anything when you tithe. You're just giving back what belongs to him. So we're selfish with our time. We're selfish with our possessions. We're selfish with our Savior. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. And he's commissioned us. He said, go into all the world and tell every creature about the Savior. And yet we who have him, we who know what it is to have our sins forgiven, we who know what it is to be saved and on our way to heaven, are selfish in sharing the Savior. You know what happens when we're selfish? What we got gets stale. You know, if you keep the glass full, you can't pour any fresh stuff into it. If we keep the blessings that God has given us to ourselves and never share it with anybody else, pretty soon they're going to get stale. He can't put any more in. We're full. It's only when we share with others and, and, and become a conduit instead of a reservoir and become a conduit where we let the love of God and the blessings of God flow through us to somebody else that he can pour more in. So the, this group of people had a good desire. They made a good decision. I want to follow Christ. But they lost their direction. They were selfish. And then number three, they had the wrong captain. They had the wrong captain. You see, in the boat that the disciples were in, when things got tough, we talked about it in Sunday school, they went to the guy that was asleep in the back of the ship. They went to the one that was going to stand and go to the rail of that ship and command the wind and the waves to be still. We talked about it in Sunday school. What that, what that phrase means, peace be still, that Jesus said to the winds and the waves, is like a parent rebuking a toddler. Hush up! Be quiet! Sit down! And immediately, the Bible says, immediately it went from being a great storm to a great calm. They went to their captain. They went to Jesus Christ. You see, the, sh- the other little ships that were on the sea that day, they had captains. And I'm sure during the storm that the people in those ships ran to them, but their captains couldn't do anything. All their captains could say, hang on and pray. Hang on and beg God that he'll give us mercy and get us out of the storm. But the captain of the disciples, the, ones who, the one who was in charge of the ship that the disciples were on, stood up, he arose, and he said, peace be still. And there was a great calm. We don't follow Christ because we haven't made him the captain of our life. 
We've made him our savior, but we haven't made him the captain. You see, when you make somebody the captain, you're saying two things. First of all, you're saying, I trust you. I trust you. You know, when I used to work, I used to travel a lot and I used to fly a lot. And I used to work for a guy and when we, we traveled together a little bit. And every time I noticed when he got on a plane, he would look at the, a little plate that was on the side of the door, and then he would look into the cockpit. And one time I asked him, I said, what are you doing when you get on a plane? He said, I look at that little plate to see what year the plane was made in. I look into the cockpit to see what the pilot looks like. He said, if I don't like either one of them, I get off. (laughs) I saw him get off one time. The plane was built in 1954. He says, that's past my date. I'm getting off. Uh, uh, But when we... When we make Jesus the captain of our life, what we are saying is, I trust you. I trust you to get me from where I am now to where I need to be. And most of us have trusted him for our eternal destination. We've trusted him to get us home to heaven. But sometimes it's hard for us to trust him to get us through Monday, to get us through Tuesday, and to get us through Wednesday. And I submit to you this morning, if you don't trust him to get, him, get you through Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday, he's not really your captain because you're not trusting him. And then the second thing we say when we make somebody the captain of our life is that we're going to be obedient. I'm going to put myself in submission. I'm going to submit myself to you. I'm going to put myself under your sub- subjection. When you give me an order, I'm not going to question it. I'm not going to ask why. I'm not going to argue with you about it. I'm just going to say, yes, sir. And I'm going to get about doing it. Now, if he's our captain, if he's our captain, we're going to trust him. If he's our captain, we're going to be obedient. And if we're only going to be able to follow him as we make him our captain. As we remember the direction that he went and that he wants us to go, that we share like he shared, and that we put him in charge of our life and trust him. So let me ask you this morning. Again, if you're here and you're not saved, you're here for a reason. You're here to hear the gospel. And in just a second, I'm going to invite you to come if you've never received Christ. And I'll have somebody take this book, the Bible, and show you how to ask Jesus to be your Savior. But if you're a Christian this morning, are you following Christ? Are you? Are some of these things keeping you back from following him? The greatest decision that you can make as a Christian is to follow him. Follow him. Follow him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the freshness of it, for the clearness of it, for the instructions that you give give in it to us. And I pray, Father, that we would not be like those people in the other little ships. We have a desire to follow you. Help us to do it. Help us to reach the other side of the shore as Jesus and the disciples did. I pray you bless this time of invitation. I pray you speak to folks' heart. Maybe there's somebody here that you're speaking to about getting baptized. Maybe there's somebody here you're speaking to about joining the church. Maybe there's somebody here that you're speaking to, Holy Spirit, about trusting Christ as their Savior. I pray they'd all be obedient. They'd all listen. They'd all heed. They'd all do what you're leading them to do. 
So bless this time of invitation. I ask all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.